Uh, before I begin, uh, this year should be a merit for the health and success of the families of Regina Bas Yosef Reuven and Yeshaya Ben Yisrael uh, and Benjamin Wolf, Ben Tzvi Hersh, and Baruch Ben Benjamin Wolf. Yeah. <clears throat> now, last week, uh, I had mentioned uh, the concept of the month of Hezron, and I went into it, uh, you know, uh, why. But Hezron is really, uh, I mentioned then, is a Messianic month. <clears throat> That's what I said last week. So what is interesting, and I also mentioned that on the Cheshvan, Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan, which means the first day of the month, there was a solar eclipse, which is really a very good sign, especially when it comes in a Messianic month, you know, and so on. So I mentioned that it looks very good for the Jewish people. Now what happened was, uh, some, something happened which I think is very significant. And that is the Israeli elections. Now, for those who don't know what the results were, basically, the Likud under Bibi Netanyahu won 20, uh, 32 seats. Okay. Now, remember, they need 61 to form a government or a coalition. And uh, Ben Gavir and Smotrich which is the religious uh, right, they won 14. I think Shas won 11. And the uh, uh, Torah Judaism, United Torah Judaism, I think won 7 or 8. But what that means is that the government, just what the Likud and the religious right, can now form a government of approximately... 64 seats. Now that is an incredibly significant idea. In fact, it's almost messianic. Why? It's not that Bibi Netanyahu came back, and that itself has very interesting implications, but <clears throat> they are able to make a government without the addition of any of the parties which are progressive or really left. And those are the era of Rav, which I will talk about. They actually now have a government without any opposition to Torah. And uh, what's important is Netanyahu will follow, you know, the religious right, because he only has 32 seats. And the other parties have uh, all combined, they have I think also 32, <clears throat> you see. So their parties together is equal to the Likud, which gives them enormous power because without them, there's no coalition. And therefore, Netanyahu does not become the prime minister. <clears throat> now, you have to remember one thing. Netanyahu really has been resurrected from the dead because had he not won... In other words, the former coalition, that I believe the Likud would have dumped him. They would have got rid, rid of him because this would be the fifth time in four years, right, that he failed to put together a government. So they would have probably gotten rid of him and chosen somebody else because the reason why he's having such a hard time putting a coalition together is because there are many people that hate Netanyahu. So therefore, you have to get rid of him, because he's already failed five times. But what happened was, he won, and he put a coalition. So therefore, he has been resurrected from the dead. This is his chance to again be prime minister. And therefore, he is in many ways completely beholden, right, to the religious right. So there's no question that he will really accede to the demands of the religious right, which is tremendous for Torah in Israel, right? They will get rid of all the decrees against so many things, uh, you know, because the government before that under Lapid was completely 
left. It had all the parties which were progressive left and really anti-Torah. And therefore, what will happen is that now that the religious right, right, and Netanyahu can now form a government without them, the heir of Rav, this is remarkable news. In fact, it's the, I think it's the first time in Israeli history that you now can have a government completely uh, that will accede to the requirements of the religious right. Because as I mentioned, Netanyahu will do what the religious right wants, and therefore it will be a, a, a tremendous time of Torah in Eretz Israel. And that's the first time, as far as I know, and that is Messianic. <clears throat> and I believe it's because of Cheshvan is a Messianic month, and there was a solar eclipse. It's a very important concept, you see. <clears throat> so that is tremendous news. Besides that, there's something else that happened a little while back, and that is that Twitter was bought by Elon Musk. Now, what that really means is that uh, Twitter will now break the conspiracy of the social media because the power behind the Democratic Party to do their evil is because the media or social media supports them. They conceal everything that these people do, which is terrible, right? They do not report on any of it. In fact, journalism is basically dead in America. It's all a propaganda machine, right, for the Democratic Party. So therefore, uh, when he bought Twitter, he is now going to open up Twitter to anything, basically, you see. <clears throat> so he's going to remove the censorship, which is the beginning of the end of the ability of social media, like Facebook and others, right, to conceal the MS. So that also is very important. So that's a second major event, you see, that will contribute to destroying the left. Now, this year is being given on November 8th, or I should say November 7th, and tomorrow, November 8th, is the elections in America. Hopefully what will happen is the third event where the Democratic Party will be destroyed <clears throat> or severely weakened, you see. And the Congress, which is the Senate and the House, will become Republican and begin to restore America you know, to a land of, uh, that makes sense and more morally righteous instead of what's happening in America and so on. And that would be the third thing that happens basically uh, in Cheshvan. So these ideas, Musk buying Twitter and uh, the religious right together with Netanyahu now governing Israel and also American elections is a, three very significant events, basically all happening in Cheshvan. So what we're witnessing in many ways, hopefully for good, <clears throat> is the end of the dominion or the domination of the era of Rav. <clears throat> if you recall, I said that a lot of this is God has given permission to satisfy justice to evil to dominate. It's been dominating all over the world. But the fact that the era of Rav in Israel <clears throat> has lost their dominion, because now they don't even need, or the government does not even need Lieberman, very evil person. It doesn't need merits. And merits, I hear, is not even in the government. They are less than the threshold of seats in the Knesset, <clears throat> and so on, you know. He doesn't even need them. So we have witnessed the end of the dominion of the era of Rav, and that basically is messianic. Now, I also believe, it's very possible, <clears throat> that one of the reasons why uh, Netanyahu won is because Iran is afraid of, uh, of uh, 
because of Netanyahu, uh, because they know <clears throat> it's one thing that they can fool around with Lapid, because Lapid fundamentally is a moron. However, they know they cannot do this with Netanyahu. He's very strict, very strong, you see, and therefore it may mean that this year there will be a real confrontation between Iran and Israel, you see, and therefore what Tabernsham has done is put an individual who will be able to overcome, confront, and destroy Iran. It's a very big possibility. In any case, this is what we see happen. So that is tremendous news. Hopefully, on Tuesday, November 8th, the same thing will happen with the Democratic Party, with the evil of Esau, because that's what America is, right? The Democratic Party, the liberals, the progressives, and so on, Biden and company, uh, that they will be completely neutralized. Well, let's see what happens uh, tomorrow. <clears throat> In any case, I want to speak, therefore, you know, I mentioned uh, this is uh, very good news because it's the end of the dominion of the era of Rav. And the era of Rav, as I want to show you, is really the last clipper, is the last uh, vestige of evil. Uh, so I wanted to explain that. <clears throat> the question is the era of Rav, which means a mixed multitude. Right? That's what an heir of Rav means. Those are the people that left Egypt with the Jews. They were basically Egyptians that converted. And they left with the Jews. And the heir of Rav is the one that sinned with the golden calf. They're the ones who did it. In any case, what does that mean, the heir of Rav? Well, what is important to know is the Sutton, of course, is always trying to get the Jews punished, you see. <clears throat> and he has various uh, means of doing that. <clears throat> now, the origin of the heir of Rav is they make very good loyalty soldiers for the Sultan, the heir of Rav. Now, the heir of Rav today is basically who? The heir of Rav are Jews that attack and try to negate the agreement between God and the Jewish people. That's the essence of the era of Rav. Uh, as it says in Tanakh, right, that your enemy will come from within. Your enemy is the era of Rav. They come from within, from within the Jewish people. And they are your enemy. And the essential battle that the era of Rav tries is they are Jews they tried to negate, as they said, to try to negate the agreement between God and the Jewish people, the covenant, the contract, that the Jewish people will observe the mitzvahs and do the tikkun, the rectification, and God will give them Eretz Israel, which really means he will give them the future world for eternity. That is the agreement. Uh, which God made with Avraham Avinu, you see. And that agreement is not a simple agreement. It allows the Jews to do the tikkun, and it allows the Jews to rectify creation. Very important, you see. And that is the entire purpose of creation, you see. And like I said, with that, the Jews can now inherit the future world. So we're looking at <clears throat> an existential reward for the observance of Torah, which is basically to observe the Taryag Mitzvah, 613 commandments, and thereby repair, rectify creation. That that's what allows the Jews to survive, is because we are the ones that do the tikkun. <clears throat> However, once there are ways that the Sutton somehow can convince the Jews to sin. And one of the grievous ways, we think, well, the Sutton, of course, has a role called the Eight Sahara, right? The Eight Sahara is a tempter, right? Tries to tempt a Jew to sin. Uh, but what's a much greater enemy 
is the ear of Rav. Because it's one thing if a Jew sins. You see, okay, you know, he does mitzvahs, but he can sin, he can be tempted, right, and commit a sin. We understand that, you see. But it's another thing when the Jew not only sins, but the Jew tries to destroy the agreement itself between God and the Jewish people. That's an entirely different level, you see, of betrayal and sin. That's what an error of Rav is. It's an attempt, not just to get a Jew to sin, but to destroy the very fabric of the agreement between the Jew and God. It's a different type of enemy. Really, it's an existential enemy where they seek to destroy the whole rationale of existence of the Jew. And that's important to remember. I mean, it's one thing to have Jews sin, which happens obviously all the time, and so on. But at least they are in conformity to the agreement, basic agreement, the covenant between the Jew and God, right? But it's another thing to have a person that negates the entire agreement or covenant with God. So that's an attack on the fundamental structure of the whole Jewish experience. It's a whole different type of enemy. That's the era of Rav. That's what he does. Uh, therefore, the era of Rav, right, is the most dangerous enemy of God, the most dangerous enemy of the Jewish people. And I'm going to explain why. You see, you have to have an appreciation. There's a difference in the enemies of the Jew, you know. <clears throat> so therefore, it says in the Chumash Bereshis, Hatsi, when, uh, uh, when uh, Yaakov, right, is, uh, leaves the house of Lovin, and he's now going to go to Eretz Israel, and Esau is coming to meet him, right, with 400 people, basically to kill him, because he stole the blessings. So Yaakov Aminu says something very interesting. He says, Hatsileni no, please save me, miyad ochi, from the hands of my brother, miyad Esav, from the hands of Esav. Obviously, who is my brother? So we can ask, wait a minute, obviously we know that Esav is his brother, so why does he say from the hands of my brother and from the hands of Esav? That is the question. What Yaakov was hinting at is a critical lesson in understanding of who the enemy of the Jew is. Save me when Asaph comes to me as my brother, you see, in order to convince me to do what? Not only to sin, but to abandon the agreement or the covenant between myself and God when he comes as my brother. Now, what does that mean? That means he comes disguised as my brother, who now brother doesn't mean in any way to harm a brother. So what happens is he is evil, Esau is evil, but he comes as somebody who pretends that he wants to benefit, that he means only good for his brother. Therefore, the evil of Esau as a brother is a disguise. It's a masquerade, you see. And the problem is that when Asaph comes as that, in that form, where he appears to Yaakov, well, I'm your brother and I love you, but follow me, right? Is that a brother has what's called credibility, right? Because a brother is not seen as an enemy, even if what the advice that he's offering is destructive, you see, that is the danger when Esau appears as a Jew, as somebody who loves his fellow brother, but his advice, of course, is to abandon the agreement. He has credibility, and that's what makes him so dangerous. You know, when you think about that, that is really the worst type of enemy, somebody that disguises his evil and makes believe what he pretends, right? 
that he loves his brother and his advice is only beneficial. In many ways, we could compare the air of Rav, and that's what the air of Rav is. They come to you as a fellow Jew, as your brother, and they try to convince you to abandon the covenant. What disease is like that? Well, think about it. Cancer, a tumor, right? One of the reasons why cancer or a tumor, right, is so harmful is because the body does not recognize it as an enemy. Because basically a tumor, right, is cells that have gone wild. They keep proliferating, you see. So the body does not recognize it as an enemy. Meanwhile, the cancer, as a tumor, is killing or usurping all the nutrients of the body. That that's how cancer kills, you see. But the fact that the body doesn't see it as an enemy, right, therefore it does nothing. And that is how cancer is able to kill a person. Because the body does not see it as an enemy. It sees it as an intrusion. It sees it, it sees it as what? As a self. And therefore it does nothing. Meanwhile, the cancer grows, becomes malignant, it uh, proliferates and it usurps all the nutrients that the body needs, and basically it, uh, the body starves for nutrients. That's how cancer is able to do it. In other words, cancer is where the body has credibility, right? See, I'm really you. I don't mean to harm you. And the body is fooled into thinking that the tumor is a friendly growth. That's what the air of Ram really is. <clears throat> the air of Rav is a tumor, you see, on the body of the Jew. The problem is that since he appears as a brother, right, then the, the Jews don't recognize him as an enemy, and that his advice is to destroy them. So therefore, cancer, right, tumor, is really the equivalent analog right, of, of a, uh, an heir of Rav. <clears throat> so that's what Yaakov Inu says. You know, save me from my brother. You know, it's when Esau comes as my brother, and then he's an heir of Rav, right? And Miyad Esau, save me when he comes as Esau, which is a very visible enemy. You see? And that's why Yaakov said that. Save me from Esau, no matter what form he comes. A very important concept. And that's what the era of Rav really is. In other words, the era of Rav are Jews. And therefore, as such, they have tremendous credibility. And they're not viewed as enemies. You see. So what they want to destroy is the essential relationship that the Jew has with God. And that is a covenant, an agreement, a contract, right? That we will do his will through the Tariag Mitzvah, through the 613 commandments, right? And if we do his will, he will give us Ilm Habo, the future world. That's the agreement, you see? And therefore we will get eternal existence in a blessed state. <clears throat> That's what the ear of Rav is. It's far more than, than a group of people that sin. They want to destroy the essential concept, the agreement between the Jew and God. Now, what are some of the strategies of the era of Rav? It's interesting to watch. How do they go about doing this? How do they go about, uh, you know, separating the Jew from his covenant? Well, there are different ways. And I'll point out some of them. But they're all there of Rav, what, no matter what strategy they employ. <clears throat> well, one, they can actually negate openly the covenant and just say, listen, you know, uh, we don't believe that there is an agreement, right? We don't believe at all <clears throat> that God made an agreement with Avraham Avinu or that there is an agreement with the Jewish people. You know, they just openly defy uh, that belief. 
So that's one, right? A second strategy is that they say, well, it's true that the Jewish people are one. And they try to demonstrate that we have a commonality, not the Torah or the agreement with God, you see. First of all, the nation. We have the same heritage. We are all descended from who? From Avrom, Yitzchok, Yaakov. Uh, so they all agree that we are really a nation. We have a commonality, that we are descended, right, from <clears throat> uh, a common of us, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, right, of Amitruk Yaakov and so on, right? So they agree to that, and that's really what defines us, that the essence of the Jew is that we are a nation, but like all other nations, you see, what is unique about the Jew is not the agreement he made with God, but that we are a nation like everybody else, you see. The second idea they say is we are a nation not only because we derive from a common common ancestry, right? But we have a common culture, you see. We have, you know, ideas, we have laws, right? And there is a culture, you know, which is common to all Jews and so on. So it is culture that defines the identity of the Jewish people, not the covenant with God. You see, another idea, another strategy of the year of Rav, right, is that we basically are all Israelis, right? The whole concept of the Zionist movement, right, was to replace the Torah with the land of Israel. You see, we are Israelis, right? That's what makes us a nation, not the Torah, and that was a common concept. That's really what Zionism was when it was founded by Herschel and so on. So that what unites us is that we now have a land, you see, like other nations. And that's what makes us uh, a unique Jewish people. In fact, Shimon Peres brought it even further. He said what makes us as a, a nation is that we are Middle East citizens, Right. We live in a common region of the world, the Middle East, and that's what we are. He didn't even say that we're all Israelis, you see. But what they're essentially trying to do is replace, again, the covenant, the agreement between Jew and God with the fact that we have the land of Israel, you see. Now, another way they try to, you know, identify the Jewish people is that we have a common history, you see. All of this is to, you know, to uh, emphasize that we are a nation, but it has nothing to do, right, with God, spirituality, and the whole concept of uh, the of us and the agreement with God, you see. <clears throat> now, so that's a second type of strategy, that we are a nation because we have a lot of commonalities. And I mentioned a whole bunch of them. A third strategy, and this was the strategy of Kirach. Kirach said to Moshe Rabbeinu, right, what he said was that, yeah, of course, God gave the Torah. But there are certain aspects of the Torah, Kirach said, that I believe God did not say, and it's from your heart. You see, he accused Moshe of making up some of the Torah. It's not all from God, because you added ideas of your own, right, thinking. Uh, so what Kirch trying to do, do is to destroy the authority of the Torah by saying that Moshe, some of the ideas or the mitzvahs of the Torah <clears throat> is really ideas from Moshe Rabbeinu and not from God. So as such, he tried to destroy the fundamental authority or authenticity of the Torah as being written and given by God. Well, that's another error of Rav, because again, he's trying to destroy the covenant by introducing the concept that some part of the Torah is not from God, 
it's a Meshavenu. But the same concept, to damage the covenant. Then you have, throughout history, other era of Rav's, like the Karaites. The Karaites said, well, all we have to do is observe is the Torah, right? But we don't have to observe any of the rabbinical enactments or decrees. The Xerus, the Konas of the Durabonon. No, what does that have to do with the Torah? So what they tried to remove and negate is all the rabbinical expansions, right? Which the Torah clearly says that God wants the rabbis to uphold his laws and to issue decrees to protect the observance of his laws. But the Karaites held, no, you don't need any of the rabbinical expansions, decrees, or enactments. You just have to observe the Torah. You see? So, well, you'd think that what they tried to do is negate the Torah, which they didn't do, but they negated all the Chazal, all the rabbinical enactments and decrees. So that's another wedge into the destruction of the agreement between God and Jew. Well, we now live in the 20th century, but there's a group of people, right? They hold that the Torah is flexible, that the Torah can be modernized. For instance, if you live far from shul, then you're allowed to, do- you're allowed to drive on Shabbos to the shul. You see, they believe that the Torah has built in a tremendous flexibility and can be changed, especially when modern-day necessities right, impinge on a Jew's life. And that's the Reformed and the conservative movement, you see. They believe that the covenant of God allows flexibility. So again, all of these things are subtle ways, you see, that you can introduce change and therefore negate the Torah itself as the agreement between the Jew and God. They're all Erev Rav. Now, what's important to understand uh, is that an Erev Rav is not a sinner merely. There are sinners and leaders, you see. The Erev Rav are Jews that are leaders of entire groups of people. So that's the first distinguishing element or identity of an Erev Rav. The second thing is that it's always an attack on the Torah to diminish, right, the sanctity, the authenticity, and the authority of the Torah, right, to negate or remove the fact that God made a covenant with the Jews. They just employ different strategies. That's an error of Rav, you see. But any person who sins, that's not an error of Rav. It's just that's merely a person who sinned. That's not called an ear of Rav. So that's a very important distinction, you see. <clears throat> now, what's very important, you see, is the, uh, the, the concept. <clears throat> Why are the ear of Rav such a favorite you know, group of individuals uh, for the Sutton? Well, there are certain ideas of... You see, the first one is that the era of Rav are Jews. They're not Goyim. But like I said, they have tremendous credibility. So therefore, it's very easy for them to infiltrate in the Jewish people, you see, and have them reject the Torah. <clears throat> the second reason why the era of Rav, right, uh, is such a favorite of the Sultan is because... As Jews, they do have merits. It's Everybody has done something which is good, even the era of Rav. So the fact that they have merits, you see, allows them to remain, they have a merit, so it allows them to remain in power because of their schos. In fact, we see that is true. For instance, one of the things that Yaakov, why was he so afraid to meet Esau. And the answer is, even though Esau was really 
totally evil. <clears throat> because Esau was tremendous in keeping of her aim to honor your father and mother. In fact, that the, the Chazals say that he, in, in all the generations, he was the greatest person who honored his father. Esau, it says that, in, uh, in fact, Rabbi Shimon Amliel says that in my generation, I was the greatest person who honored my father. It's interesting. But I find that Esau, <coughs> right, was greater than me. Esau, before he would go in to see his father, right, Yitzchak, he would change his garments into, you know, uh, big day Yom Tov or big day Shabbos. Shabbos garments, you know, garments that you wear to some type of uh, ceremony. He would actually change it and go in to see his father. That's an incredible, so you can imagine what Esau was in terms of, you know, honoring his father. And so that's the problem. What Yaakov was afraid of is that Esau had a tremendous merit in that in honoring father and mother. And Yaakov did not come to the over aim of Esau. In fact, one of the things that bothered Yaakov of was what? Is that he was gone for 22 years, right? When he was in the house of Lovell. And therefore, he did not honor his father, serve him for 22 years was Esau did. So Yaakov was afraid that the merit of Esau would enable Esau to destroy Yaakov Avinu. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Yeah. And that's the era of Rav. They have schusim. They have merits. So nobody is a complete sinner, right? So their merits, you know, a person has to be afraid of their merits which can protect them and enable them to harm other Jews. This is the problem. And therefore, the Erev Rav are a unique type of enemy. And that's why the Sultan loves to employ them for his benefit, to dissuade the Jews to abandon their Torah. And not only that, the Erev Rav, they're easily tempted. Because remember, it's not that they sin only. It's the problem with the Erev is they want to uproot the entire foundation of the agreement between the Jews and God. And therefore they're much greatly, easily tempted to sin. You see, <clears throat> there's another idea that because they're Jews, whenever they do a mitzvah, they bring down Nitzitzei Kedusha, sparks of holiness. Because that's the power of a Jew. So when they sin, the Satan can nourish from their sparks. He can't do that if a guy sins, but he can do that with the air of Rav. Uh, so that's why they're so valuable. In fact, that's one of the reasons why when the Satan is dying, as you get closer to a redemption, you see, that he's dying because he doesn't have any sparks. It's all gone back to the Jews because they've suffered in the exile, you see, and they did tshuva, so it goes back to the Jews. So where does he get new sparks of holiness? And the answer is, the heir of Rav, he's able to take their sparks that they've done, you see, and nourish Yunik from it, you see, uh, because they're Jews, and whenever they do a mitzvah, they bring down sparks, and the satan is able to take it from them. So the air of Rav becomes a favorite <clears throat> tool, soldiers of the Sultan, especially before the redemption. That's when he really needs them because he's running out of sparks of holiness, you see. At the end of time, he becomes depleted of these sparks. And therefore, he uses the air of Rav to try to persuade, to take uh, their sparks and hopefully he can get them, because they have tremendous credibility, right? He's able to get them to actually um, convince other Jews. <clears throat> In fact, that's one of the things that he did, you see. <clears throat> if you recall, I once gave a shear where I said, right, <clears throat> that the Sutton is really dying. That is why you find 
such incredible opposition. It's almost psychotic. Tremendous opposition to Trump, which I've said, Trump is a messianic figure. He's a messiah of Edom, right? And I've talked about that, that Edom does chufa, repents at the end of time. I gave a whole shear about that, you see. <clears throat> so therefore, as a result of that, this, this, uh, Trump is one of the most dangerous people to the Sutton because if he does do tshuva, he will help the Jewish people in terms of getting it to Israel and keeping it and whatever. And therefore, what the Sutton has done is he has put a psychotic rage into the American people. That's why this hatred of Trump is not normal. It's called Trump psychosis, you know, or Trump mania, whatever you want to call it. Because the one who's behind it all is satanic, you see, because Trump is the most, one of the most dangerous people to the Sutton. Because if he does tshuva, then he will assist the Jews to do tshuva and to get back out of Israel totally and protect the Jews and so on. I've spoken about this. Uh, so that's why we find a tremendous rage against Trump, you see. <clears throat> so the same idea, you see. So the, uh, that's why the era of Rav is, is uh, seen as a critical adjunct, right? A critical aid and abet the Sutton. And like I say, they have a credibility, you see. But what is so important about the era of Rav is that they try to dissuade and reject, get the Jews to reject the Torah itself, not meaning the sin. To sin is one thing, but to try to talk them out of their Torah, that's a different level of betrayal. That's why the era of Rav is so dangerous, because of their credibility and because of their strategy. In any case, this is what we see in terms of the era of Rav, you see. Now, I've mentioned that at the end of time, right, the Sutton needs the ear of Rav to get sparks back to try to get Jews, you know, to leave, to abandon their terror. And we have seen in the last couple of years, you see, uh, is that Israel has gotten the ear of Rav. You know, you're talking about Lapid, you're talking about Lieberman, you're talking about Meretz and Labor, all of these people have tried to destroy the Torah and to destroy the Jewish character of the state. Because like I said, because God wants in the end of time to satisfy justice since he is bringing the Mashiach, right? Because of the 49 levels of Tumor. Uh, so therefore, right, he has given permission for the heir of Rav, right, to rule. Just like he has given permission, right, for the, the evil of Esau, the Democratic Party, to rule. But hopefully what's happening now in Cheshvan is we now see that the Israeli elections, right, will remove the entire heir of Rav. And these people no longer have the ability because you don't need them for a coalition. And in many ways it would appear that this is messianic. So it's a tremendous sign, you see, that when the religious right now is by itself in the government, then they can issue many types of laws which will enormously benefit the Torah world, right? The kolels, the Torah world, the draft, right? <clears throat> uh, they will be able to protect no more Shabbos threats of desecration Marriage will be good, will be according to Judaism, Torah law, divorce, conversions, right? Kashras, right, will be legitimate, especially education. There are 1.5 million kids in the public school system in Israel, and it's all under the hands of the reformed movement. Could you imagine, right, that 1.5 million kids hardly have any type of Jewish education. What an incredible tragedy. But now this is going to be given over 
to the religious right, which really is incredible, you see. So they, they can now change the actual education system of Israel to make sure that um, kids, Jewish kids, Jewish youth, will now be instructed uh, in Jewish education. So uh, these ideas are major, major, because the heir of Rav basically no longer has the domination it had. So it would appear as if the domination or the ability of the heir of Rav to rule and cause so much, you know, so much heartache and agony and destruction to the Torah itself is ending. That is messianic, right? So, you know, we, we really have to take a look and see what happens now. Because, look, hopefully it could mean that we are now truly, there could, this could be a turnaround, and we now truly see the beginning of the reversal, you see, of the domination of all the evil. And hopefully in America, the exact same thing will happen, and we'll know very shortly. In any case, these are very important ideas. The concept of an heir of Rav. Who is the heir of Rav, you see, and what their strategy is, and the difference between an heir of Rav and a person who sins in general, <clears throat> you see, and why the heir of Rav always seems to come and become very strong, you know, when the end is near. You know, and, I, and I've got to these ideas. So certainly let us hope, <coughs> certainly let us hope that we are at the end, and therefore the great sign of that is the era of Rav can no longer have input into laws that will try to destroy the entire Jewish character of the state of Israel, because that's where we're really standing, you see. And hopefully that is the beginning of the turnaround to bring the Mashiach, and uh, certainly the redemption, and hopefully that will mean the end of the Golos, the building of the Beis Hamikdash, and the bringing of the Mashiach himself. Any questions? So, remember, Rabbi, you said um, previously the four R's, I forgot what they were, but it was like rehabilitation. When the Mashiach comes, you you said there was like four R's that, that, that it's like the, the stages of the Mashiach. Um, I remember something, but I don't recall exactly. You'd have to remind me. I mean, rehabilitation is certainly one of them, you know. Right. Um, did I say redemption? Or the reversal of the Golas? I don't, I don't recall what they were. You know. But this is certainly one of the, this is certainly one of the signs. Because remember, you know, when you take a look at the Gemara, it says that before the Mashiach comes, right, you'll have terrible decrees uh, against the Jews in the world. So the fact that we see that there's a reversal is very important. And we may actually begin to see the, the uh, rehabilitation of the Jewish people, especially if they could change the educational system in Israel. And it doesn't take that much, really, you know. Uh, and that's a very important idea. When we say rehabilitation, meaning to, to bring us back to Torah? Yes. <clears throat> they don't know what? Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you say Shema Israel, most kids in Israel cannot complete the sentence. Right. That's how bad the ignorance of education has made them. It's incredible. <clears throat> I mean, could you imagine, if you look at the Torah, right, you'll see that, how many times has Moshe Rabbeinu said, and you will observe the mitzvahs, the laws, everything. 
I mean, he's probably said that a thousand times. Every other Pesach verse in the Torah says, and you will observe the commandments of God. He says that over and over and over again, <clears throat> right? And we know that the, the essential idea, right, is not only the adults, but the youth. So could you imagine in Israel, one million kids, you know, 1.5 million kids don't know anything or hardly anything. Could you imagine Moshe Rabbeinu must be turning over in his grave? That's the extent of ignorance. And I'm not even going into America, right? There are millions of Americans that know nothing about Torah. Yet the knowledge of Torah is critical to becoming an observant Jew. You see. So that is a critical part of the redemption. You see. Where God has to rehabilitate the Jews. And what that means is to educate the Jewish people in Torah. And that's going to be supernatural. That's going to be supernatural, you see. Although there are ways, actually, to do it in a natural way. Yeah, I think I once mentioned the concept of learning Mishnayas in depth with the Mishnaic map can actually teach a person the entire oral law in one year, right? And that's a natural way by structuring the entire oral law in such a manner where it's all clear, you see, and that is possible. But how actually God will do that is unknown. But he does say that even if your, you know, outcast be at the ends of heaven, he says, there I will gather you, which means I will take you, separate you from the goyim, then it says, from there, I will take you. And that is the rehabilitation of Torah. And then it says, and he will bring you to Eretz Israel. So you see that all of this will occur before the Jews go to Eretz Israel, right? And while the Jews are actually in the exile, God will do it. You see, so we don't know how, but hopefully with the end of the ability of the heir of Rav, to have an input in Torah against the Torah, hopefully we're witnessing it now in the month of Cheshvan. You see? That's what I've tried to demonstrate. Rabbi, what do you think about this uh, solar eclipse this tomorrow? Lunar. No, lunar. 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 Well, a lunar eclipse is usually against... Uh, it's a bad sign for the Jews. But I had certain thoughts about it. First of all, since a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse happen in the same month, then the solar will outshadow, overshadow the lunar. You see, that's number one. The second thing is that maybe the lunar eclipse, which is bad for the Jews, does not refer to the Jewish people but it refers to the Erev Rav. They are Jews. So maybe that lunar eclipse means bad news for a segment of the Jewish people, namely the Erev Rav. That's also possible, you see. So I'm not too worried about it. Okay, God willing, let, let Mashiach come already. Oh, yeah. I guarantee you that he wants to come more than you want him to come. You know, he really wants to come. Because the world deteriorates rapidly. It's hard to believe that the world is deteriorating with such rapidity. It's very hard to believe. And it's, it's not even normal. It's insane. When you look at America, they're insane. You know, you talk about... Uh, you know, transgender and the immorality and you have to watch your pronouns. I mean, it's just beyond belief what's going on, you know. And unfortunately, Israel, under the ear of Rav, has also become LGBTQ, you know, and so on, you know. 
they are following America. And because the idea is, which is interesting, is whenever Israel tries to replicate, right, and be like the Goyim, be like the other nations, it means that they want to become really like the other nations. So therefore they will duplicate an American, it's, you know, an American institution because that's who they really want to become. They want to become a small America, you see? And that's what it means to overthrow or reject the Torah, you see? So they want to really become a, a carbon copy of America. That's the whole concept of what the Erev Rav are uh, saying, you see. <clears throat> but thank God, hopefully, that's going to end very shortly. Rabbi, what happens yeah. to the, the gay and the lesbian Jews once the Mashiach comes? What happens to them? Or well, hopefully, well, yeah, hopefully they will realize, you know, look, he's going to have incredible abilities, the Mashiach, you know, and it's going to be much greater than Yosef at Tzaddik. Mashiach and Yosef will have tremendous abilities. Many of them are supernatural. So in, in a certain way, he will be able to hopefully convince the world, because you have to remember, together with the Mashiach ben Yosef also, not only is the beginning of the exile, the exile is over, but what it also means is there will be a tremendous amount, the base Hamikdash will come down, which is what I spoke about. That one, and once you have the base Hamikdash down, then you have the appearance tremendously of the divine presence, the Shekhinah itself. Look, the whole world is going to be different. We cannot even imagine the type of era, you know, you know, in terms of when the Mashiach comes. Look, I mentioned previously, you know, if you want to understand, you know, what a king and queen are, just take a look at what they did with King and Queen Elizabeth II. It was just beyond belief. The, the honor, the glory, the type of lifestyle that she had is just beyond belief. You know, the honor that they paid to her. So could you imagine that this is nothing compared to what the Mashiach is going to have and what the Jewish people are going to be able to display? Nothing. <clears throat> And that will go on for hundreds of years until the end, until the year 6,000, right? Now, all of this takes time to develop. So I believe that the uh, beginning of the Messianic era will be, you know, perhaps 200 years before the end. Look, it's now 5,783. That means to the year 6,000, is only 217 years to go. So therefore, I believe we are really very close because everything takes time. And therefore, the Messianic era hopefully will be certainly over 200 years. And it will be with incredible glory, far greater than the British royalty. <clears throat> Okay. Rabbi, you know how, like, when um, Yaakov, you know, he told his, his sons, Rudu, both. Say that again, what? Moses? You know when Yaakov Avinu told his sons, Redu Shama, to go down to, uh, to Egypt? It was 210 years. You're going to go down. Right. Right. Maybe it's going to happen the same thing that we're going to be redeemed earlier, also. Yes, I believe so. As well. Yes. Yes. I believe that the redemption is imminent. Because it takes time. The Russian does not want to thrust the redemption on the nations of the world, you know, in, 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 a, in a blitz. It'll be too shocking. So therefore, he's going to change it slowly, you see, so they can get used to it and begin to live that way. So I hope that it's really starting now, especially with the Israeli elections. 
Does it, does it, whatever happens, like Israel is usually the forefront for what uh, will trickle down into the other parts of the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You usually look at Israel first to see what's going on. To right, because, yeah, because the, remember, the spiritual always comes first. Because the decree that allows evil to dominate has to end first. And then that can carry on to the nations of the world, you see. <clears throat> because there has to be a zero that stops, you know, the Goyim and the Erev from dominating. And therefore the Jews go first. <clears throat>